and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Anthony Schutz, Associate Professor of Law at the Nebraska College of Law. We will discuss his work on local government management of natural resources. So welcome to the show, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so for listeners who might not be uh, environmental lawyers or environmental specialists, uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what a natural resources district is and and what it might do, specifically in relation to your experience in that context here in Nebraska. Sure. So I get into environmental law and natural resources law more generally uh, through the lens of, of agriculture, because ag- agriculture is sort of the biggest user of um, natural resources in the state. Uh, the regulation of agriculture, it's been commonly viewed as, as woefully inadequate. Um, J.B. Rule wrote an article, you know, 15 years ago now called Farms and Their Environmental Harm. So um, at least ag has this reputation for being quite unregulated. And that's true. But what we find with agriculture, especially with its use of natural resources in terms of water and things along those lines, um, is that it is affected by policymaking at all different levels of government. Um, And one very effective means of engaging agriculture on large geographic scales is to utilize local government structures. And that's what natural resources districts are. Um, Their genesis lied in the creation of soil conservation districts back in the 1930s, uh, which is actually a a federally uh, pushed plan that enabling acts for uh, soil conservation districts were were, uh, promulgated by states, but only through this sort of model law that the federal government pushed out to them, uh, mainly because the federal government at the time didn't have the administrative infrastructure to run a federal program. So have states create local governments, and then maybe we can deliver these services through these uh, entities. Over time, uh, in Nebraska, we wound up with a number of different local governments, many of which were uh, created in order to finance infrastructure, things along those lines. And in the 1970s, we looked around and said, wow, we really have a tremendous number of local governments trying to operate in this natural resources space. So what they came up with uh, was a consolidation movement that resulted in Nebraska's natural resources districts. Currently, there are 23 natural resources districts that envelop the entire state of Nebraska. Um, The boundaries for them are largely drawn upon river basin lines, which is an interesting geographic structure uh, associated with them. They're local governments, so they're characterized by elected boards of directors that direct policy and make a number of different decisions. Um, And they just operate in a lot of different ways, which is sort of where my scholarship is going. Um, and, And what I'm trying to understand a little bit better is the different ways in which these local governments differ from the quintessential administrative command and control structures that we see at the federal level and often at the state level. And given those differences, what are the peculiar attributes of them that might be helpful in pursuing environmental and natural resources policy, especially with an industry like agriculture in mind. Mm. Maybe you could talk specifically about some of the the districts in Nebraska. Mm. Like how many members do they have? You said that they're elected. Are all, are all the members elected or sort of like sort of what do they look like? Are they kind of consistent ac- across mm. districts or are there like significant differences from sure. one to another? So the enabling acts for them are, of course, consistent throughout the state. But what the districts have done with those enabling acts differs from place to place. Um, some districts have board. So all districts have an elected board of directors. The number of directors in each district varies from district to district. 
I currently serve as a, as a director on the Lower Platte South Natural Resources District, which is the Natural Resources District that covers where we're at right now, Lincoln, and really a lot of area to the north and to the east of us in the Lower Platte River Basin. Uh, our board of directors has 20, I think, seven members, uh, along with a staff uh, in the NRD office of, I believe, there's a general manager, there's assistant manager, and then there's a number of other folks that work for the NRD. Um, so our board has 27 members, but there are boards out west uh, in some of those districts that have as few as, I believe 15 is probably the smallest board, um, all treated as subject to one person, one vote sorts of restrictions, and I think that's probably right. I don't think there's much of an opportunity to vary uh, the political makeup of these representative entities. Um, most of them have districts, uh, they have some at-large voting in them, um, but it's supposed to be a local government representative sort of democracy. Mm. Well, so what are the primary f- functions then of a natural resources district? I mean, as as a board member, mm-hmm. what do you actually end up doing? Like, what kinds of issues is the board yeah. voting on? And is it like more of a policy-making organization, an mm-hmm. adjudicative organization, mm-hmm. something like an agency, a mix of all three? Like, yeah. exactly how do they work? So it varies from, from place to place depending on the particular circumstances facing the NRD and the nature of the natural resources problems that, that are facing them. Generally speaking, I, I think we would tend to think of natural resources districts as as a sort of general purpose kind of government, but limited in its in its attention, I guess, to natural resources issues. But natural resources issues, that's a pretty big tent. So everything from flood control to groundwater allocation to drainage issues to wildlife habitat to trails to there's some water quality stuff that they can do, generally geared at, at, at groundwater in the state. And we have a large amount of groundwater in Nebraska. Um, so it, it's a big tent of natural resources, which means that it's somewhere between, you know, sort of a municipal general purpose government and a very specialized kind of proprietary government like a, you know, a ditch company or a, or an irrigation district or something like that. Um, the different functions that they serve are sort of the reason why I got into it. I teach a class in local government as well, so we look at all sorts of local governments and we deal with, you know, Dillon's rule and home rule and all of the stuff that's associated with local governments, um, both at doctrinal and theoretical levels. But when I looked at NRDs, these things don't really resemble any of the quintessential kinds of local governments that we have because they're at once general, but they're also somewhat specialized. Um, And then their operations range from regulation to adjudication, to you know, spending other people's money, uh, receiving grant funding from the federal government, helping sponsor programs for flood relief and 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 levy construction with the Corps of Engineers and things along those lines. So they they cooperate with all different levels of government. They act as conduits. They act as um, as entities that can help pursue local projects through local sources of revenue. Um, and so they're just really kind of a fascinating case study in all of the different things that we see in the local government world. Mm. When it sounds like these districts are interacting with a lot of other forms of local government as well, and mm-hmm. from your description anyway, I'm not far from a local government expert, yeah. but it seems like they might even have some kind of overlapping authority or overlapping kind of policy concerns mm-hmm. with other local governments mm-hmm. as well. So how do these districts interact with like 
county, municipal, et cetera, sure. governments. So uh, local governments can be thought of in terms that are similar to, to states. Um, and so there's horizontal issues, right, um, conflict, conflicts um, that result from the fact that the things we're regulating and dealing with don't nicely fit within political boundaries. So we've got horizontal problems, and then we've got, you know, vertical problems, state-local relations sort of problems. Your question seems to get at really the horizontal intergovernmental relations problems that we have. And those those run the gamut. One thing that we run into, just if we thought of natural resources districts only as natural resources districts and not interacting with any other local sorts of governments or sub-state sorts of governments, um, different local government, different NRDs have different fiscal capacities associated with them. Uh, and so we see a lot of like the school finance kinds of problems arise with local governments. Like what do we do when one local government has similar problems as another one, but they don't have the taxable property within their boundaries to deal with it? And of course, we've come up with an aid uh, program to do that, a state aid program to help alleviate some of that interlocal fiscal disparity. But that said, um, other local governments both overlap with and then sometimes transcend the boundaries of these local governments, uh, these NRDs. So, you know, a, a county that has land use authority would concern itself with some of the things that the NRD was doing and vice versa. Um, one interesting example of that in Nebraska, uh, as of late, has been the, the onslaught of, of large poultry production facilities. Um, poultry production is starting to move from the East Coast where it's being highly regulated in places like the Chesapeake Bay uh, to the middle of the country where there's not as much regulation uh, and there's more opportunity, I guess, to pollute without without folks regulating. Um, but locals, of course, take note of these sorts of things and they try to step in in a, what, whatever ways they can. One way is through local land use authority, which is in Nebraska is typically wielded by the county. But another way is through NRDs, which are concerned with things like water pollution and groundwater withdrawals and that sort of stuff. So coordinating all of those different concerns uh, is, a, is a common problem. But it's also a common problem we've run into on on more urban landscapes as well. I mean, the city of Chicago's metropolitan area, I think, has something like 1,200 local governments operating within its boundaries. So so a lot of similar sorts of problems that we run into out here, just in a, in a very different setting, which could maybe have an impact on doctrinal design and maybe even some of the theory that we've developed utilizing um, the thinking on urban landscapes. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the, the kind of the vertical integration you talked about as well? I mean, I wonder in particular when when NREDs were initially kind mm-hmm. of created in mm-hmm. Nebraska, whether there was sort of primarily an institutional reason for doing so, mm-hmm. or maybe also sort of a policy-oriented reason for thinking about this sure. structure, and sort of how have they developed over time, and mm-hmm. to what extent is the state kind of actively involved mm-hmm. in kind of intervening in the sure. policy decisions that these districts are making? So it's a fascinating aspect of these things, and it's really the main reason why I got into them. So when they were first created, it was really an effort at governmental consolidation and maybe bringing a little bit of order to what we had in play. Um, so we decided, let you know, let's get let's get fewer governments doing um, doing similar things, and let's try to consolidate this in a way that makes sense. So we did that, and then a few years later, we did what what commonly happens with local governments: is the state ran into a very difficult problem. And that was what to do about groundwater withdrawals and how to regulate irrigation in the state. And this was in the 1970s when we were just sort of coming to terms with 
um, the groundwater withdrawal problems that we were that we were having. We we're starting to deplete the Ogallala Aquifer in some places, and so we we said we need to do something. Um, but it wasn't clear what we should do, whether we should regulate that at the state level, because in the 1970s we weren't. I mean, we had a fairly strong administrative apparatus, but um, it felt like this area was technically complicated enough that perhaps we don't want to try to do it at the state level through some sort of a state agency. In other words, the problem was difficult. And one thing that we deal with when we have, or one thing that we do when we have very difficult problems is punt. Um, and so they, they punted this issue to natural resources districts who, to their credit, were already asking for some authority to try to regulate groundwater because they were seeing the local impacts of groundwater withdrawal. And at that time, the impacts of overdraft and groundwater supplies were typically thought of as having uh, a very local aspect to them. They didn't seem to have problems that basically trans transcended those local boundaries. So it seemed to make some sense to give local governments, NRDs, the ability to regulate groundwater. And so we did that. We allowed them to create groundwater management plans, to set the policy goals that they wanted to achieve, figure out how much groundwater withdrawal they would allow, and then figure out programs in order to achieve those goals, whether they be regulatory or spending or project-based or something along those lines. As time wore on, we realized, though, that the groundwater withdrawals were having an impact on stream flow. And soon enough, we came to realize that those activities that we thought were having only local impacts were having extra-local impacts, impacts that were transcending not only the boundaries of the local governments, but also the state's boundaries. And so we started to have compact compliance issues uh, with Kansas on a compact that dealt with the Republican River Basin. Um, there's concerns in the Platte River Basin that relate to endangered species. And so the state has had to come to grips with what they should do in an area where they've already given the power to local governments, uh, but there are policy goals that they need to achieve, and it would almost have been easier if we still had the power at the state level. So that interlocal, or not interlocal, the local state relationship has become somewhat strained over the years when it comes to water resources. Because we gave a bunch of power to local government, it's very difficult to wrest that power away from them um, after it's been given. And in some instances, local governments have, have sort of pushed the envelope of the powers that they've been given, and that can result in some level of backlash from the state. In fact, today I'm going down to testify on a bill that is related specifically to um, an interlocal agreement that a number of NRDs entered into uh, where they're utilizing their authority to pump groundwater and augment stream flow. Um, in conjunction with that, they've acquired a large tract of agricultural land, and the state isn't happy about, or at least some people in the state aren't happy about that acquisition or that activity. So they're trying to figure out to what extent they should, at the state level, step in and change that project, a project that was undertaken with local dollars, with local authority. Mm -hmm. um, and this has been, this is the third year in a row I've gone down and testified on this bill, so it's a very intractable problem, <laughs> I think. Uh, there's a lot of personalities involved, <laughs> as, as you might imagine. Yeah, well, so to the extent you see this kind of vertical state-local tension, mm -hmm. do, you, do you see it being primarily about the sort of locus of power and control, or primarily about policy differences, either mm -hmm. policy differences between the state government and the local governments, mm -hmm. or maybe even policy difference among mm -hmm. policy differences among local governments themselves, mm -hmm. or, or maybe a mix of the two. I don't yeah. know. Like, wh 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 where do you see the, the bulk of this sort sure. of tension taking place? I don't think there's as there's some tension uh, at the interlocal level. Um, 
but not not as much as there is at the state, local, sort of different. Everybody, I think, agrees on the ends to be achieved. They just have vastly different ways of thinking about the the best way of going about achieving those particular goals. Um, and it's the thing about problems is they're difficult, right? And so there's no easy, regardless of where you put the power, it's still a very difficult question. Um, everybody thinks that they have a better answer and therefore they want the authority to deal with it. And then when they get the power, they realize, oh, this is a very difficult problem and I can't I can't deal with it uh, in a great way either. So I think there's that, that push and pull. Uh, it's complicated by this idea of giving power to local governments. It's complicated by this, you know, some people refer to it. I, I just read an opinion the other day. Uh, they referred to it as the evocative uh, shibboleth of local control, right, uh, that's sometimes used in fairly schizophrenic fashion uh, to, to try to answer policy questions. So it's a very dynamic and, and fluid arena in which we're having all of these fights. And that's why I think it's it's worth studying and it's worth trying to sort out if for no better reason than to isolate the questions that we're grappling with and have an organized discussion about the policy ends that we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Well, so in your experience working as a board member mm-hmm. on, an, on NRB, um, NRD, um, you know, in what ways do you have you seen, or in your perception, have they been most effective mm. at achieving their goals? And maybe are there areas where you think they have not been as effective as mm-hmm. they might otherwise mm-hmm. be? And I wonder if you have any thoughts about sort of like institutional structure and yeah. kind of how to think about achieving these kinds of shared goals in a, the most efficient possible sure. way. Well, interestingly enough, that these local governments have been less effective when left to their own devices. Um, they're very effective at achieving ends that have been set for them by the state, which is, I think, an unexpected result. You tend to think that if there's a problem that has local impacts, that a local government would be a nice way of stepping up and solving that particular problem. But I'll give you one example of the way in which that hasn't worked out, and it's just a recent example. Um, There's an NRD in the middle of the state that deals with a a large amount of agricultural land, some of the most productive agricultural land in the world, really. And it's got a large underground water supply associated with it, which makes it highly productive. When you're producing uh, corn and soybeans in this part of the world, you tend to use um, artificial fertilizers, nitrogen fertilizers that ultimately leach into the groundwater and cause nitrate contamination, which can cause all sorts of of health issues. This part of the state, given its long history of irrigation and its uh, in-growing corn and soybeans, has has a large nitrate contamination problem. That nitrate contamination problem is a local problem because the water supply that it's contaminating will not move beyond the boundaries of that particular NRD. But that NRD has been unable to take any action with regard to that, either in the form of regulation, well, especially in the form of regulation. Um, Just this last year, they proposed a number of different controls that would sort of help stem the tide of this nitrate contamination, and they were roundly rejected by uh, the board of directors and to some extent the electorate. And it raises real questions about political accountability. You know, what exactly is the root of the of the problem here? Why wouldn't this NRD respond to this local local problem? Um, and it probably has a lot to do with political accountability. But there are other NRDs that have been very effective at solving problems related to groundwater supply. Um, specifically trying to deal with needs for endangered species in the central part of the state and dealing with the Republican River Compact in the, in the southwestern part of the state. 
those NRDs have been successful after a number of years of fledgling once the state stepped in and said, this is your responsibility. This is the result that you have to achieve. Um, in the Republican, it was the assignment of what we call depletion factors. It was basically the idea that you can disrupt this amount of stream flow and that's it, and you're responsible for everything else. And so once these local governments had a mandate that they had to achieve, they were very good at finding innovative ways of achieving that particular mandate. Now, of course, they had to fund it locally, uh, mm-hmm. and so it raises all sorts of issues about you know unfunded mandates and whatnot. But when the benefits of that mandate accrue within the boundaries of the political subdivision, it seems to be a little bit more palatable. Um, so the mandates in the Republican, the mandates from actually from the federal government in the form of the Endangered Species Act and the Central Platte, have really driven those NRDs to achieve some pretty remarkable results mm-hmm. using innovative solutions. So, um, you know, telling local governments what to do, it seems antithetical to the notion of local governments. Like they should have this, you know, this democratic aspect to them that allows them to set policy, but it's always within limits. And really, this is maybe just another way of figuring out what the limits ought to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think it is then that these kind of federal and state policy mandates might make NR- NRDs more effective at achieving <clears throat> achieving goals? I mean, is it in part just because it might insulate their decision-making process a little bit from the electorate, especially people who are especially invested in particular decisions mm-hmm. and their outcomes? It, it could be that. Um, I tend to think, though, that people are effective very often once they have direction. And sometimes it's just difficult to figure out what direction we ought to operate in. That's kind of the most difficult problem associated with policymaking is choosing among competing truths and choosing among competing uh, Goals, But once the goal's in mind, and if it's fairly clear, if you've got an objective, then you're free to utilize these other aspects of your existence that might be helpful, your your tendency to be able to find solutions where other folks wouldn't. And that's the thing about these local governments is they're very familiar with the landscape. They're very familiar with the resources that exist within their boundaries. So there's a lot of really strong uh, aspects of their existence that can be utilized to achieve goals. It's just the the goal identification that's the problem. And if you can, I guess, divest them of that responsibility and sort of give that to them, then you can maybe capitalize on their strengths. Um, and, you know, that goal setting or that that policy selection is all the more difficult in a political institution that is, is plagued by a lack of citizen engagement. Um, mm. If people aren't really watching and paying attention, uh, then what is really to drive the decision-making mm. process? especially with a board of, you know, 27, 28 people. Uh, so it, I, I think these are all interesting aspects of local governments that we tend not to think about. We tend to, you know, think of them as something else. But mm. they are, to some extent, administrative agencies of the state. They're, to some extent, ways of achieving goals, and we can utilize them as such. And maybe that's what NRDs are, uh, more so that than, than like a municipality where you've got broader authority. Mm-hmm. So I, I do wonder about that. Like, I mean, to the extent that NRDs are elected mm-hmm. uh, elected bodies, like how invested is the electorate in sort of staffing these mm-hmm. <laughs> these political entities? And like, 
is is it kind of broadly distributed in terms of the level of interest, mm-hmm. or are there particular constituencies that seem to be more focused mm-hmm. on on what they are, what they do, and who's going to be serving? Sure. So in my experience, there isn't a lot of political pressure that's placed on the the representatives. Now, I haven't done anything very controversial, so maybe that would uh, that would change if we tried to do something controversial. But you know, most government's not controversial. Uh, especially most local government. And the NRD that I'm a part of, I mean, the work that we do is very important, and our budget's quite large. I mean, our budget is, I think, $14 million, um, and we do a lot of flood control. And if, if there wasn't that flood control uh, apparatus in place, you would notice fairly quickly. Uh, so we we add a lot of value to the landscape by spending um, these these sources of funding, property tax, revenue, federal revenue and those sorts of things but it still does it despite the importance it kind of flies under the radar screen except for you know developers um except for uh, you know folks that are that are concerned with flood control apparatus we get a lot of attention from other local governments that that partner with us in order to fix some of the stuff that they have in place uh for flood control so there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of like sexy political stuff going on within NRDs. I think to really raise anybody's attention, people are busy. They got school districts to worry about. They got a city government to worry about. They got a state government to worry about. And then all of what they consume is 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 driven by the national political scene. So it, it's hard to figure out how you would really expect the electorate to pay any attention to natural resources district. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not acting in the public interest, which is another, you know, interesting aspect of what it means to serve on these boards. Mm-hmm. Well, so in closing, Anthony, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on what, if anything, you know, you see the impact of your service on this NRD in relation to not only your scholarship, because obviously you're, you're working in this area, mm-hmm. but also just maybe on your, your teaching and especially the mm-hmm. way you think about yeah. local government law. So it, it it works really in, in every class that I teach to, to give me stories and, and, you know, practical perspectives that I can bring to bear. I teach first-year contracts, um, and one of the things that the NRD spends a lot of time doing is entering into contracts with other local governments, with, with vendors, uh, with contractors, with all sorts of different enterprises. And I have access to, of course, all of those documents and the sorts of questions that the political subdivision itself thinks about when they're reviewing these sorts of documents, their liability exposure, and then the things maybe that they're not thinking about uh, that one would perhaps think that they are thinking about. So I can bring all of that to bear in my contracts class, for example. In my agricultural law class and in my water law class, I get obvious uh, um, lessons that I can bring uh, to bear. A lot of it has to do with implementation. Uh, For example, we may have grand ideas about what we could do to really rein in agriculture and environmental uh, and it's environmental harms, I guess, if you want to think of them that way. Uh, but how do you really go about regulating an industry in Nebraska that covers, I don't know, 10 million acres? Um, you can't really do that effectively with command and control regulation unless you have a very strong policing mechanism in place. And, you know, how would you develop that? And maybe in this day and age we'll come up with those sorts of tools through remote sensing and, and satellite imagery and that sort of thing. But it 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 gives us a deeper understanding, I think, of the practicalities of regulation in agri- on the agricultural side and on the environmental side. The local government course, of, of course, there's all sorts of lessons I can bring to bear in that. Everything from, like, how does the Open Meetings Act affect your day-to-day functions? Uh, what happens when you require a roll call vote on everything 
uh, under the sun, including whether or not one member of your board can be excused uh, for not attending, right? And what you wind up doing is you have like 40 roll call votes in the course of one meeting, and it really has an impact on decision making. And, you know, we don't think of those sorts of things often in the law school classroom unless somebody has, has lived it and seen it and brought it to bear. You just don't see that in a casebook or something along those lines. So it it allows me to bring a, a strong practical understanding, um, but I think also a more informed theoretical understanding of the subjects that we're dealing with. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Anthony. This was really informative, and it's great to hear about law professors being engaged in, in their communities in this capacity as an elected official. You bet. Thank you. Thank you.